I am from beyond. Listen, and all you desire will be yours. Welcome to Spider-Man and the Secret Wars. Prepare for battle. Welcome to Prattle World. I'm your host, the ever-amazing, ever-spectacular Spider-Dan. And in this podcast, I spotlight entertainment's best-kept secrets that a mainstream audience may find boring. Hey guys, I am back. Sorry for the delay. I've not been particularly well for a while. Uh, and other things, just been busy, busy, busy. Um, but I am back. Uh, I was going to talk a lot about Stan Lee um, in this particular podcast, do a kind of eulogy. Um, but because it's been delayed quite a bit, um, I think other people have said things much more eloquent than myself about the great man. But I was very sad to hear of his loss and it affected me very deeply and yes I was very saddened and it probably didn't help it probably maybe even triggered the uh, the kind of uh, illness that I had um so yeah but I've not been doing too badly though I've been trying to catch up with lots of geeky stuff I watched a couple of uh couple of films recently, comic book films I'd never seen. I watched Supergirl, 1984's Supergirl, with Helen Slater, Faye Dunaway, and Peter O'Toole, and that was pretty dreadful. Yeah, it was not good, not well written, not well conceived, not well anything. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't, wasn't great. So uh, the TV show, brilliant though. <laughs> and I also watched Trial of the Incredible Hulk, which uh, features the first live-action appearance of Daredevil, and the Kingpin, played by John Rhys Davies, is one of my favourite actors. And that wasn't too bad, actually. I expected that to be a lot worse than it was, but it was fairly, fairly grounded, and you know, as much as grounded as a thing about a giant green uh, monster it can be. Um, but yeah. But um, anyway, I'm gonna crack on with the first segment. In this particular podcast, which is Secret Boar Stories. Secret Boar Stories. Alright then, so Secret Boar Stories is where I list usually a top five of, you know, films, comics, you know, whatever whatever kind of good kind of topics there are and... and you know, we'll focus on a specific character, perhaps, or franchise, or genre, or something like that. Um, and this week, I'm going to focus on Stanley written comic books, um, mostly his Marvel stuff. He has done original stuff with his company, Pow Entertainment, things like that. But I'm going to fo- focus on his big, kind of his, his great, kind of crowning achievement, kind of stories in the Marvel universe, because I'm, um, I'm a make mine Marvel kind of guy. Um, so let's rock on. So number one is the origin of Doctor Doom, which is in Fantastic Four Volume One Annual Two by Stanley and Jack Kirby. So finally, we get the origin behind one of the most dastardly and devastating villains in the Marvel Universe, possibly the greatest comic book villain of all time, and what probably stands favourite villain that he ever created. It's one of his earliest and one of his best as well. So in this story we basically find out how a small Eastern European boy becomes this iron despot 
uh, of this, who melds magic and science together for his evil means. Um, it's a really great story. It's just it, it's really fascinating to see how how he began and how he, you know origin story is always really interesting for heroes and villains i think doctor doom has one of the best better origin stories he starts off as this um, small you know part of this small kind of traveling band in latveria which is not a real country i found out in my youth uh, which i was very disappointed about same with wakanda and genosha and various other uh, fictional countries um and more with the dc stuff uh, but yeah it was it's a brilliant little tale and you get to see why he hates Reed Richards, you get to see why he hates the world, why he thinks he should control it, why he wants to destroy everybody and rule everything. Um, it's it's a great little story and, it, I mean, they haven't altered it. They haven't really changed his origin story. They've added layers to it, but it's never, it's never been, like, rebooted or, well, you know, there's, there's other versions of it. There's the ultimate Doctor Doom by Mark Miller, who had goat legs, which I don't think I or a lot of people cared for, particularly. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's true Kirby brilliant artwork, um, true Stan. Uh, these kind of it gives Doom these kind of Shakespearean monologues, which are a joy to kind of read and and to experience. And you know, you get the famous scarring as well, and um, his uh, the past about his mother being a witch and a sorceress. Um, yeah, so some really good things that would carry on and be a huge part of Doctor Doom's story and his legacy. Um, and not only that, not only you get two stories in this annual as well, which is really cool. You get uh, basically his origin story, and then you also get uh, where he was left off in the, in the last battle he had with the Fantastic Forum, where he takes on from there. And he actually meets a possible future version of himself or a, a kind of descendant of his uh, by Ramatut, by the name of Ramatut, who was an earlier Fantastic Four villain who would later go on to become Kang the Conqueror, who's another one of my favourite Marvel villains um, in the huge catalogue of great villains that Marvel has. Um, so he bumps into them and he says, well, I'm going to destroy the Fantastic Four. I've got the best way to do it. And he kind of tricks them all into... I think he hypnotises them all into... Uh, fighting each other until himself and Reed Richards have their final clash, their final battle to prove who is the most intelligent and the more superior, who has the superior intellect. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a great little story. Um, now, I, I do usually do a top five, but I'm going to go for a top ten. Um, also, I forgot to mention at the start that Looper did a really good video on YouTube of the best Stan Lee stories. They did top 10 of Stan Lee stories. So these are stories that also are just as good, um, just not featured on that video. So yeah, go go watch that. It's a really well uh, put together video on YouTube about you know Stanley's work, and yeah, highly recommend all the stories there. So I've chosen ten different ones, ten ones, uh, ten stories you wouldn't find on that video. So great, let's move on to the next story, which is dun dun dun, to wake the Mangog. In Thor Volume 1, issues 154 to 157 by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Now, this is Thor at its most crazy, cosmic, 
um, and brilliant. Uh, basically, it's the first Ragnarok story, the first time where Ragnarok is kind of invoked and what would happen and the end of the universe. Um, basically, what happens is one of uh, one of Thor's villains, Ulick the Rock Troll, uh, stumbles upon a cave and a huge door that Odin has decreed must never be opened. And being a dumb rock troll that he is, smashes the door and opens uh, also this kind of cave, this cavern, and inside is the Mangog. Now, the Mangog is a creature who has the power of a billion, billion beings and the uh, combined hatred has kept him alive for all these kind of eons that Odin has kept him trapped. And the reason he has so much hate for Odin and all this power is basically Odin committed genocide on a whole race of beings, a billion, billion beings, which is pretty bad genocide, um, numbers-wise, uh, as far as I, I'm aware. Um, you know, it's huge, huge, huge. Um, and, yeah, what they do is they combine all the, their hatred and their power together and, and compose it into this one being called the Mangog. And he kind of looks a bit like... I think the there's a couple of beasts in the Thor movies that I think are inspired by the Mangog. I think they're on the uh, Jotunheim uh, planet and the ice planet with the ice giants. And it's... It basically is the... <laughs> even the Asgardians have no chance against this thing. And you're wondering why uh, Odin doesn't just, you know, wish him away, magic him away, while Odin's going through the Odin sleep. So there, And, and Thor's not even there. And Loki takes over because he, he goes, well, I'm the, surely I'm a, a better fit for ruler, <laughs> ruler for Asgard than, uh, than, than anybody else. And he hides away this whole time and leaves Thor to get... He wants Thor to get killed and then to save the day because he wants the worship and admiration of, of all the Asgardians, uh, which uh, doesn't come to light. But it's, uh, it's a really great story. It's so epic. You've got the Warriors 3 are in there. Sith is in there. Um, basically... The Mangog cuts a swath through Asgard, just obliterates everything. Um, you know, just a huge epic uh, battle, and it goes on for several issues, and it's it's so much fun. And and Kirby draws. Uh, Kirby has always been original. Jack Kirby is the quintessential comic book artist and he always no matter how many robots and monsters and creatures and demons and you name it aliens they're always every single one even if it's just a character that appears one issue is totally completely utterly different than the last one you know he has such imagination and it really shows through in these panels in these pages and Stan's writing is just it, it, it just uh, it's this just Utter brilliant um, storyline, so I highly recommend um, searching that one out. So that's To Wake the Mangog from Thor's kind of classic run. And for me, Thor has always worked when he goes cosmic, when he goes crazy, when he goes far out. When he's grounded on Earth, it's not as interesting, depending on the story, depending on the situation. They can be, and yes, I do appreciate those stories as well, but I think for me... That's my favourite version of Thor. That's why the, the third movie, Thor Ragnarok, worked so well. Because they went, right, forget Earth, let's go on this cosmic odyssey. And that is exactly, exactly why that film works. And all the humour as well. Okay, number three is A Blind Man Shall Lead Them. In Fantastic Four, Volume 1, 39 to 40, by Stanley and Jack Kirby. So, basically, in the previous issue... 
Um, there's a bit of a cliffhanger as the Fantastic Four are trapped on an island with a nuclear bomb, uh, trapped by their arch-rivals, the Frightful Four, and the bomb goes off. <laughs> they get nuked. The Fantastic Four get nuked, kind of like uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, but not as ridiculous. Um, but Sue manages to bring up a force field at the last minute and saves them, and they're uh, retrieved by a, a submarine nearby, a US submarine. And they wake up to find that they no longer have their superpowers, and they are kind of helpless if any villains, you know, decide to attack. And and uh, who wakes up from from uh, his last battle with the Fantastic Four that was earlier in the list is Doctor Doom, and he basically uh, breaks into the Baxter building, the headquarters of the Fantastic Four, and uses the building and its weapons and all of Reed Richards' inventions against them while they're trying to... Uh, trying to they've basically they've hired their, uh, their trusty lawyer, uh, Matt Murdock, to help them with... Uh, basically, he has the... Um, <clears throat> he has a... Uh, Oh, what's the word for it? Uh, power of attorney. So Reed basically tells him, if we die in battle, you have to, you know, carry out all our, you know, wants and wishes and wills and what have you. Um, and they are trying, to, they are trying to cover up their the loss of their powers by there's a robotic thing, there's a flame suit for Johnny, there's invisibility and force field projector for Sue, um, and a stretchy suit for. Um, for Reed, um, but these all get trashed in the first attack from Doctor Doom, and obviously with Matt Murdock being on site, uh, who who better to help these handicapped heroes than Daredevil, who is the ultimate handicapped hero, the ultimate underdog for my money in the Marvel Universe, and he goes up against Doctor Doom, uh, who is, you know, power level is, you know, crazy compared to Daredevil. Daredevil's a guy in a shiny red suit. Uh, so so yeah, it's it's really cool and they're totally outmatched. They're totally um you know, that's what makes this story so exciting. There's a really great there's a really great moment where Daredevil um he gets his billy club and he shoots a pellet at one of the the inventions that that Doctor Doom's using against the Fantastic Four. And it's got <laughs> it's got a, a a crosshair, it's got like a target on the gun. Uh, the billy club turns into a gun. And I was just thinking, wow, that is some he created that just so people wouldn't guess he's blind. Or either that or Stanley forgot that he was actually blind. Or Kirby. Kirby I mean Kirby drew it, so maybe he he didn't create the character and he's not that familiar with it. So that could have that could have been the could have been a good reason. But no, it's a really fun story and it's a really heartbreaking moment right at the end. I won't, I won't spoil it, but um, let's just say one of the characters doesn't want to go back to being... Uh, going back to being a member of the Fantastic Four and being super-powered. You can probably guess who. But anyway, another amazing issue. Check it out. Definitely just one of the best. Okay, next up... Captain America Returns in Avengers Volume 1, Issue 4 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So it starts off not... So we know, we know up until this point, 
um, in comics. Uh, Captain America was big in the 40s, and then his popularity died out. They tried bringing him back in the 50s a little bit, but it also didn't work. So this time, Stan Lee brought him back and said that he'd been frozen for all these years, uh, and the the body is found in the Arctic by Inuits, and they're they think it's uh, some form of god or something and the submariner comes along and doesn't like the idea of this and throws the body into into the water and it starts to melt away or the ice starts to melt away and then uh, and luckily right at the last minute he's recovered before he drowns uh, by the avengers who are for some reason in a submarine who knows and uh, they realize who this man is and he wakes up and it's revealed that um, during the closing days of world war 2 himself and his book himself and his partner bucky uh, as we all know as the winter soldier um, are battling one of the villains baron zemo and they have to stop a plane um, this kind of it's kind of a not not unlike the ones in the first captain america movie kind of these suicide bomber planes and basically they, it blows up Captain America is hurled into the icy waters and Bucky dies um, because Stanley wasn't a big believer in, in sidekicks, even though he made one of the best, uh, inventing one of the best comic books, teenage sidekicks in Rick Jones. Um, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't up for again. Stanley used to smash tropes that were invented. You know, he he made teenagers were only sidekicks. Not in not in his world. Spider Man was the hero. You know, it, it, all these tropes and all these things. He just he would change and throw out. And you know, these characters have personality now, which they never had in those early days. You know, they were just like I'm good. At, I'm Superman. And I'm gooder than good. You know, it's it's Stanley's ability to humanize these characters. Yeah, they have the power of gods, but, you know, they struggle to get a date or, you know, break out in acne, um, you know, can't pay the bills. You know, they have relatable problems. There's a very early issue of the Fantastic Four where they're basically, um, they, they can't pay their rent and they're booted out of the Baxter building. You know, they they go bankrupt. You know, what a brilliant way to, to humanise these characters in such a, such a unique way, uh, which had never been done before. And that's why one of the reasons he was so great. But um, but then before Cap has had any chance, go back to the Avengers. Uh, before Cap has any chance to adjust to the loss of Bucky and the loss of his time and the loss of all the people that he's you know cared about back in the war, um, the all the Avengers are turned to stone by an unknown assailant, and Captain America has to find out who this is with the help of Rick Jones, who Cap. Um, mistakes for Bucky in a really heartbreaking scene. Um, he he, thought, he thinks Bucky's still alive. He's been resurrected. And he's like, no, no, I'm just, I'm just Rick Jones. I look a lot like him. Um, so yeah, really, really touching. Really, uh, Stanley didn't create Captain America, but he certainly redefined it um, with the help of one of the co-creators of Captain America, Jack Kirby. Um, I think that was a real. That was a. It was the best thing that's ever happened to the character for me. And he wouldn't be as popular now if he hadn't had this reboot, if you will, to the character and given him such gravitas and tragic, you know, tragic backstory. Um, so yeah, another great issue. Moving on to the very first appearance of the Black Panther in Fantastic Four Volume One. Issues 52 to 53 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So the Fantastic Four are invited to Wakanda, which uh, the world knows very little about, much like the movie that came out earlier in the year. 
and um, the mysterious figure known as the Black Panther um, invites them on a big game hunt, basically. They're going to be part of this huge, um, crazy hunt, and they realise slowly but surely uh, how advanced and how crazy advanced Wakanda is in, in regards to the Western world, which is fairly advanced in the Marvel Universe, but Wakanda is something else entirely. And... Um, and then they realise that they are in fact the prey for the Black Panther, and the Black Panther is testing himself against the Fantastic Four because his uh, father, the man who killed his father, is has come back to uh, take um, Wakandan and vibranium for his own and use it to his own evil schemes. Muhahaha, uh, and that is Ulysses Claw, who. In the comic version, is a quite a bit different from the from the movie version. I mean, he still has he still has a, a claw, a robotic hand, but in these comics, he actually becomes solidified sound. Um, and I kind of I agree that they probably shouldn't have done that in the live action movies because I struggle to believe somebody could be solidified sound somehow. I don't know. It's kind of it's a little it's a little wacky, but the design for Claw is brilliant, and it's another amazing Jack Kirby. And this was a huge issue. Like this was a huge um, turning point in comics at the time in in regards to diversity, because uh, there wasn't many black characters in comics that weren't stereotyped at the time, and the Black Panther was one of the first and biggest and most successful um, and most popular as well. Um, in regards to this, so he, um, Stanley also introduced many other characters like uh, Gabe Jones in Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos, one of the first kind of supporting black character roles. Uh, Joe Robbie Robertson in uh, Spider-Man as the one of the editors in chief at the Daily Bugle, um, and the Falcon as well. Some some great great characters that were introduced, and he pushed for diversity. He pushed for. Um, for all this stuff, and you know, on in a in a time where you know during the not long after the civil rights movement, which is a which is a huge issue, and he did a, a similar thing during the women's lib and brought in all these female creators to write new female com female driven and, and female led comics, uh, which is a huge 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 deal at the time, um, and it was great. It's a huge. He made such a huge influence in his time. Um, but yeah, another great, fantastic comic. Now, moving on to the next one. Now, this one is The Origin of Galactus. In Thor, Volume 1, 160 to 162, and issues 167 to 169 by Stanley and Jack Kirby. So, basically, Thor is uh, contacted by an alien he'd encountered before, one of the... Uh, one of the colonizers uh, from Rigel, oh, I want to say Rigel Seven, um, and basically they're they're in trouble in their part of the uh, in the part of the universe because Ego, the Living Planet, who was one of the villains earlier on in the run, uh, who's the villain in Guardians of the Galaxy, brilliant, uh, brilliant character, just a, a just an amazing just conceived character i love i love uh, a giant planet with a beard you know i just i think that's amazing and uh he lives in this kind of whole kind of biosphere this bioverse which is in the black galaxy i believe in the in the marvel comics that's where he he lives and uh-oh somebody's found him the devourer of worlds galactus and we have this epic cosmic battle that shakes the very 
pillars of the universe when these two clash, these two gods. Um, and they're equally matched, very evenly matched in these uh, in this battle. And it's such a great, great comic. And again, like I said, Thor is best when he goes all out cosmic. And this is one of my favourites. And the, again, the artwork and the writing. And uh, and then credit to Stan because I think in these later the the later he goes on his career, he like many like many good comic book writers, they will let the art speak for itself. Um, and sometimes there are some writers that will overwrite and overwrite and fill panels with text after text after text. But when the artwork's so good, you just gotta let it, you know, speak for itself. And I think Stan realized that when working with with Jack Kirby, after so long, he kind of went, "I don't have to do that much in regards to to this." Um, you know, I you know he still did the work and he still conceived of everything. Um, and these guys are co-creators. These these why do you think Kirby and Stanley are covered in this list? So Stanley lifts, but Kirby has been there every step of the way. And he, Stan works with some other great creators who I'm going to get to very shortly. But Kirby, bam, is uh, I can't say enough good things about Jack Kirby. And please look up his artwork, look up anything, buy his work from DC, buy his. Buy whatever you can of his because it is fantastic, and all of his characters, all of his creations are truly original. Um, also, in the later story is basically Thor has committed the worst thing in Asgard, and he's given in to the warrior's madness, which is kind of his, I don't know, like Wolverine's berserker rage, and it, he gets like ten times stronger, but he totally loses it, and o Odin has forbidden anyone to ever uh, give in to the warrior's madness, so he's banished, and he has to learn the origins of Galactus, and Galactus, strangely, wants to tell his story. He's, he's so, he's the only one, you know, he's the only being... In this universe, um, he comes from the previous universe. Uh, we would later find out in uh, further stories, um, and he's lonely and he wants to talk to somebody. And Thor is just that person, and he relates his entire story where he came from, who he is, uh, what began the huge change he went through, um, and again, truly cosmic, truly amazing, great little story there. Okay, out of the cosmic into the slightly more street-level stuff. This story is Brother, Take My Hand from Daredevil, Volume 1, Issue 47, by Stanley and Gene Colan. So this is actually, um, this is said to be Stan's favourite story ever wrote. So what happens is a Vietnam vet, a black Vietnam vet, by the name of Willie Lincoln, is blinded um, while saving his his troop from a grenade. And he's slowly going blind, but he the one thing he's looking forward to is seeing Daredevil perform in a kind of USO show, um, you know, kind of do all his gymnastics and stuff. And he finally, watching Daredevil, he, he finally, his body kind of gives in to the blindness and he starts going crazy and starts throwing things about. Uh, they finally calm him down, and Daredevil visits him in the hospital, um, and says, "You know, you can have a you can have a life. You can, you know, it, it is possible to to get past this. You will get past this." Kind of offers him hope, um, and months later returns home because he was a police officer. So he returns home and he finds out that he can't get a job or any job for the police force because a gangster has implicated him in crimes and he's being, you know, he's being charged for them. Um, and luckily, um, he goes to uh, goes to a 
I think Jet Daredevil in in Vietnam suggests that he go meet Matt Murdock, and he meets him, and he's the he represents him, and and he doesn't, and all this time he didn't realize that that Matt Murdock is blind. He didn't. Matt doesn't reveal that to him, and he's so surprised that someone with with such an impairment, with such a disability, could can do so well. And and it gives him hope for the future, and it's a really nice, touching story. There's all there's all the Daredevil kind of gymnastics and crime fighting and gangster bashing that that would come with the title, but it's a really touching story about hope and dealing with adversity, um, you know, and dealing with the loss of of something so crucial as sight. And yeah, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And Gene Colan's art is great, moody and. Um, he's one of my he's one of my favorite artists as well. I think it suits Daredevil, the book of Daredevil, and it suited uh, Tomb of Dracula, which is one of my favorite horror Marvel comics they did as well, um, by Marvel Wolfman. I highly recommend that. That's where Blade first appeared. Um, but yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal. It's one issue. It's really short and sweet, but it's it's great storytelling. Next one, the origin of the Silver Surfer. A lot of origins. Um, I do like love a good origin story, and Stanley is one of the the best. I mean, I don't think I'd heard the word origin story or origin until I read one of his origin stories. You know, where do we where do we begin? And the Silver Surfer story is one of the most fascinating. And again, this is one of Stanley's probably Stanley's favorite creation. Him and Jack Kirby created. Um, but this this is actually by, this is drawn by John Boschema, another one of my favourite um, artists in comics, along with Sal Boschema, who's a, another phenomenal artist from the early days of Marvel. So we find out that Silver Surfer is is still trapped on Earth. He was banished. He was basically trapped here by Galactus after betraying Galactus. He can't get through the Great Barrier, as he calls. It. He can't leave the planet, so he's he's stuck here, and he and he the He's so sick of the the selfishness, the greed, the war, the violence that humanity just seems to keep, you know, doing to itself and you know, causing all these problems when they have some when humanity has so much potential, so much love, so much creativity, and it it, it frustrates him and angers him and and but there is a lot of beauty to the earth and that's why he protected it when he did. But casting casting his mind back, we see that he was once on a peaceful planet known as Zenlar, which is um, a t- so technologically advanced world. Um, it's a, it's a it's a paradise. It's a just everything that you could possibly want. Technologically advanced, everything is peaceful. Everyone is at one with themselves. Everyone is happy. Everyone is joyous. Apart from Norin Rad, who feels that the paradise is not is unearned. He hasn't strived for. He hasn't. Uh, he hasn't earned what you know he's bored with the with the utopia he lives in so he he dreams of traveling the universe and seeing other cultures and worlds and alien planets and his his girlfriend shalabal the love of his life um just wants to be with him and and she she wants him to just accept that everything is great and everything is good uh where they are but unfortunately galactus has come to zenlar and is and wants to devour the the world itself and the pacifist dreamer that Norinrad is he decides to sacrifice himself um he offers himself as a herald to Galactus in order to save his own world but he must leave it behind forever 
and Shalabal, his love, and he adventures into the universe, but is now heralded as a bringer of death and destruction, uh, where he was born on a planet of peace and prosperity. So quite a deep... Um, there's a lot of uh, there's always a lot of kind of I always see the Silver Surfer as very much a Christ-like figure and a pacifist, and he struggles with his very being, and that's the that's the wonderful thing that Stan did with so many of his characters. He, you know, there's so much kind of self-loathing and and you know just ennui, if you will, uh, with so many of these characters. And the Silver Surfer is definitely one of his best creations. Next one is Spider-Man Unmasked, Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, Issues 39 to 40, by Stan Lee and John Romita. So the Green Goblin gets, he's, he's been a pretty consistent thorn in Spider-Man's side. And this point in the history, he's trying to be, um, the, he wants to be the kingpin, basically. He wants to run all the gangs in New York, uh, run all the kind of mafia big bads and he's trying to do that and he's he's there's various different stories where he tries to do that but in this story he's sick to death of Spider-Man getting involved so he 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 turns his attention to Spider-Man for the first time really um Spider-Man kind of turned up and has been there and has been a a thorn but he's never really gone after him or made it a personal vendetta until now and he manages to get some thugs to hit Spider-Man with a weapon that uh, disables his spider sense, or weakens his spider sense, so much so that the the Green Goblin can stalk Spider-Man without him detecting, and he sees him unmasked, and he's shocked that Spider-Man is this teenager, this uh, wimp, and not only that, he knows who Spider-Man is. Like he he's met Sp- he's met Peter Parker, and he he couldn't believe it, and he even he uh, reveals that he knows everything in front of Aunt May's house, and. And Peter just doesn't know what to do, and and you know the he's he's torn. Does he reveal his? You know he's risking revealing his identity by fighting the Green Goblin. Yet you know he has to protect Aunt May, who you know he could attack anybody he loves, anybody now. This is this is pretty revolutionary at the time. There was not many villains who knew a superhero's secret identity. Very rare that this would happen, but it gives this added drama and this sense of dread and. And you 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 know you fear for Spider-Man's life. You fear for everybody because you the Green Goblin is so predictable, so unknowable, and so strange and bizarre. You don't know what his next move will be. And not only that, we learn the true identity of the Green Goblin. This is a, this was a quite a prickly pair for the original co-creators, Spider-Man Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko didn't want the Green Goblin to be somebody that Spider-Man knew. Um, he said he should just be like a stranger or some bizarre guy. Um, and they kind of did that with another character called the Crime Master where he just, the big unmasking happens and he's just a general hood that nobody really knew. So I think Stan tried it out. And he just wanted to do something different, and as um, unfortunately that you know Steve Ditko went and John Romita came in, who's another phenomenal artist, very different. But he gave his own, he put his own spin on Spider Man, created some amazing characters as well, like the Kingpin, the Rhino. Um, you know, I I I'm kind of glad Stan went with his gut because it's it makes for a better story, it makes for a more interesting read. Um, but yeah. Definitely one of my favourites. That's probably one of the first Stanley stories I, I ever read and still blows me away to this day. Okay, we're almost there. Last one. 
Stan Lee Meets. So this was released in the kind of mid-2000s era of, of Marvel, and Stan Lee kind of comes back every now and again, what well, he did, um, to write certain stories, to write um, various kind of, you know, little little just short stories or various little things, but nothing too extensive, nothing like months and months and months of t- stories, but, you know, when it, it'll just put in like a one-shot or something. So he basically, Stanley meets his, his him using that character that he created, the Stanley character, if you will. Stanley Lieber created Stanley as a, you know, it's a performance. He's he was always the showman, he's always a, you know, that kind of guy. Um, Funky Flashman was uh, inspired by Stanley. It was a Jack Kirby character he made for DC, heavily inspired by Stanley. And um, so Stan puts himself in the books and he meets some of his best creations, including The Thing, The Silver Surfer, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man. Um, I think Doctor Doom as well. I think that might be all of them, maybe more. But um, but and he adds his own flavor of comedy to it, and and it's great. The really funny little um, kind of these little short stories of you know Stan just meeting the Silver Surfer and you know questioning him what he's about, what he does. You know, it's really really funny, and you know, and they they really they really hit home they still have that kind of marvel bullpen style where he would you know make jokes to the reader and you know let people know what the bullpen was all about and the people who worked there made made these you know these faces behind the comics real people to the readers and that's that's the charm that Stan has and he's he's great at throwing this kind of low key shade at people. I watched a video recently where uh, Rob Liefeld and Todd McFarlane, it's the early nineties, they're just creating this character and drawing it and like, yeah, we're just gonna create this character and, and um Stanley's just been like, why do they have to have rocket launchers all over the, themselves? And they're pure 19, like, maybe you should draw feet a little bit better and things like that, which is great. Um, now, all these stories uh, that I've mentioned have been collected. Um, they're all available on Marvel Unlimited, which is basically uh, something I subscribe to. And it's basically the kind of the Netflix of comics. Um, I highly recommend it if you're just going to kind of, I think it's like seven quid a month, something like that, or I think 50 quid for the year. Um, it's a great little uh, service, and whenever I want to read a comic, it's great. Um, I mean, I, I buy print, I buy digital, I buy it all. Um, but I, I highly recommend it if it, if you're trying to save some money and read some good comics. There's great stuff on there, and they upload new stuff every week, old stuff and new stuff. Um, it is six months behind because obviously they want to sell physical copies and digital copies um, for monies. Um, but yeah, they're all good, and, and most most of these other ones, I've um, basically these. These stories I've found are part of some Marvel collections. These are called the Epic Collections, most of them. Um, so, Spider-Man No More. I'm just going to list them. I'm just going to list all of them and then pick pick the ones you want. So, the, these are the Epic Collections. So, Spider-Man No More, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Black Panther Panther's Rage, Daredevil Brother Take My Hand, Fantastic Four The Master Plan of Doctor Doom, Fantastic Four The Coming of Galactus, and Marvel Platinum, the definitive Silver Surfer, and Stanley Meets. So yeah, those are my top ten Stanley. Another top ten Stanley stories um, that Looper didn't do. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys reach out and buy those or experience those because they are just great, and I love them so much. I love the the man himself. So, but um, enough with that. Moving on to our next segment.
It always starts with the little things. And that phony laugh. <laughs> okay. All right, all right, maybe overdid it. Let me have it. If love is blind, now I got you. Marriage is like having a stroke. When I watch you eat, when I look at you lately, I just want to smash your face in. Smash my face. I want a divorce. You can't have one. All right, guys. So I, everyone voted on Facebook and Twitter, and I thank everyone for voting. We, the winner was War of the Roses, uh, directed by Danny DeVito, starring Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito. And it's basically a, it was based on a book, I believe, and it's basically about a couple who have a wonderful, they meet wonderfully and fall in love, they get married, they have kids, and slowly but surely their marriage starts to erode and starts to go down a, a very dark path. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, this, I thought there'd be more, because I found it on a, basically a list of Christmas films. I think the, the link to Christmas is that it was a release near Christmas. So I think it was quite a, a marketing, the marketing strategy was that people argue at Christmas, people fall out at Christmas, families are difficult at Christmas. And I think that's what they were trying to do. And there was a few scenes featuring Christmas or around Christmas, nothing too heav- heavily around that era, that kind of part of the year um but yeah slowly but surely the kind of marriage erodes and and holes start to appear and then they start getting torn further and further open and you know and it's quite a it's a relatively long movie um it felt relatively long not in a bad way i'll be honest guys i didn't really dig this one as much as i i i wanted to it's um Fair credit to Danny DeVito. You know, I think he's, I think he's, he's probably done better than this. And the talent involved, I think, does elevate the film. Um, but I heard there was like an hour cut. There was like a whole hour of, and it, the towards the end, there's um, it gets kind of ridiculous towards the end, over quite over the top and slapsticky with the the violence and stuff and the things that happen, uh, the bitter twisted anger and things that come out of Douglas and Kathleen Turner. And I think um, it's not, I don't know, I, th- I think I might have been watching one where the aspect ratio was a bit weird or it's, it was too much of... Um, too much of a widescreen kind of look, and it was kind of cutting off the top of people's heads and things, which I found a bit irritating. But that might have just been the thing I was watching, and the thing I was watching it on. Um, but yeah, it's it, it starts off with um, Danny DeVito as this lawyer. He he was the lawyer for the Roses. That's the couple uh, in Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas play, and uh, he's 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 telling them about the story of this this marriage to uh, Dan Castellaneta of all people so uh, so his brother in the simpsons it was the homer simpson and oh god i can't remember it's merv or marv or I'm kicking myself can't think of the character's name uh, herb herb that's it herb yeah and um yes yeah, so that was quite a weird kind of cameo he doesn't dan dan castellaneta doesn't say a thing because i imagine the simpsons was out by then and they probably didn't want to I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to recognise it. Or maybe it was, maybe it was just a bit before. Who knows? But um, but yeah, he kind of depicts it. So it's quite nice to see him there. But he doesn't do anything. He just talks at him. And I don't like. I don't think it's that well filmed. Like I again, I love Danny DeVito. I love 
Um, all the stuff he does, but I don't... There was nothing... Up until the end, when all the kind of... Spoilers. Um, all the kind of violence and stuff break, you know, happens towards the end, all the kind of slapsticky, uh, sinister stuff goes on. Um, it didn't really have a particular style or anything original to it. Um, yeah, I don't think the editing was that hot either on it. Um, again, like I say, the, the, the performances do elevate it. So Michael Douglas plays this kind of very... He's this lawyer and he becomes slightly more kind of uh, distant and, you know, hardworking and... You know, he's he's the one you relate to the least, I think. I think you relate more to Kathleen Turner, because Kathleen Turner, basically, her character goes, I don't love you anymore, I want a divorce. And, and Michael Douglas is like, you're not having it. You're not having a divorce, you're not having this, you're not... You know, and he kind of... He comes off, like, you kind of... It's weird, the, tonally, this film is not brilliant. It starts off this kind of... It's all lovey-dovey, very... And, you know, it builds, and, and there is a long time before the marriage starts to erode. I, I kind of wish there was a bit more to be up toward, to the beginning, where where there was holes already that were slowly opening throughout. But I think for the first hour or so, um, there's, like, no real... Uh, 45 minutes, I think. There's no real indication that the marriage is that bad or... Um, you know, there's really that many problems. You know, there's a few issues here and there, but nothing, nothing really kind of juicy. Uh, and tonally, again, the film starts off. It's quite honest and brutally honest about the, you know, the, the loss of kind of love in a marriage and the the breakdown of a marriage and feelings and and breakups. You know, you know, and I, you know, I felt for the characters at those at those times. But then at the end, it it goes. I thought, you know, from the trailer, it seemed like there's going to be a lot more kind of crazy madcap, you know, slapstick, you know, action that there was at the end. And I did enjoy that towards the end, but it took so long to get there. I was kind of like, and I think some of the jokes fall flat, and some of it's really kind of mean spirited as well. Like it's, so it, it was, it was, it wasn't an easy watch in some scenes. Um, Sean Astin's in it as well. Actually, he plays the son. Um, uh, one of the, uh, I mean, he still looks like a hobbit at you know fifteen, but he's uh, he's fine in the in the role. He's not in it very long. Um, but yeah, just it wasn't it was it didn't blow my socks off. I was hoping for something a little better. Um, but again, like if if it didn't have those actors in it, it would not be as good as I thought it was. But even then, I didn't think it was great. Um, yeah, there's some, some, you know, some great scenes, some great dialogue as well. But on the whole, it just it didn't come together. And I, I would actually be interested in seeing what that other hour was like, because there is a towards the end where it does cut into the when it goes to the kind of again the dark slapstick kind of violence and stuff. Um, there is quite a dramatic. I feel like they're missing quite a lot of material. Um, Kathleen's turnaround. For, Turner's outfit completely changes, um, but again, all the actors are fine in it. I just don't think it's a very well written movie. And again, I don't know if maybe those scenes would have helped, or you know, an hour worth of. But you know, I'm not sure if that would have helped, or if it was just you know they just shot it's too much stuff. But um, but yeah, it's 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 not great. It's not great. But um, I'll leave it there. I'll give it kind of. Two and a half Spideys out of five, probably. Um, yeah, not not the best. Um, but yeah, um, I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. But yeah, it's, I wouldn't recommend it. But 
Anyway, um, yes, so uh, roll on next week. We'll see what I'm watching then. Please vote. It's either The Ginger Dead Man with Gary Busey or Jack Frost. Not the Michael Keaton one. It is the the horrific... Uh, the horrific one with, uh, I think, Shannon Doherty's in it? Not Doherty, Shannon Elizabeth. Shannon Elizabeth is in it. Um, not many other other actors that I know. But, um, yeah, cast your votes, and I'll see which mutant freak I'll be watching on the way to Christmas. All right, guys, uh, let's move on to... Spider-Dan. And his amazing friends. Alright, so the next segment is My Amazing Friends. So this is, again, the segment where I promote my friends' businesses or events. Again, if you have any events or, or if you run a shop, any private businesses or anything you're doing or charitable um charitable events, anything at all you want me to promote on here, um, I will happily do that. So I'm going to promote uh, my friend Dennis, who runs a comic shop in Oldham called The Comic Den, uh, which is a great little shop, and he's he's a man after my own heart, really. Uh, Dennis, a lovely guy, he's got a great family, and works with my friend uh, Mike Chandler, who's a, who's a big part of the Cosplay Companions Guild, uh, which is a cosplay group I'm a part of, but don't really post about that much, but I've not really done much cosplay for the last year. Uh, been too busy. But yeah, um, so Den is all about comics. He's all about the creators and and people reading comics, which unfortunately nowadays doesn't really happen. Um, he's definitely more for uh, physical books. Um, definitely prefer he likes he's old school. He likes stuff in his hands. He likes to see talk to the artists, uh, talk about characters, talk about the worlds, talk about the business. He's a great guy, and his shop is great. It's a lovely little shop in Oldham, and it's got his, like most comic book shops. You 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 know you imagine it's like this kind of dungy dark. Um, kind of <laughs> dungeon of geekness, you know, some some hairy overweight guy telling you that all your opinions are wrong, and that why should you read Supergirl, things like that. You know, it's it's not the most welcoming. That that's what the I think the the public consciousness think comic book shops are. Now this it's run by his entire family, his daughter, his wife. Everybody's in there, and they've got these huge, lovely windows. All the light comes in, and it's all there. It's well lit. Um, it's got artists. Artists have drawn stuff on the walls. So every artist that visited done a little character head or you know a little portrait and signed it as well. So that looks great. Great memorabilia there. Statues and figures. You name it. Posters all over the wall and. Really, really enjoy. Dennis really enjoys the idea of of you know uh, artists and creators, and he invites them in as well. He brings them in, and they have so much fun there. And they, they. I mean, I got to meet various uh, comic book artists. Um, you know, um, Tim Perkins, who's a who's a lovely guy who did work on um, Transformers back in the in the eighties, and and various other pieces of work since then. Worked for Marvel, and he's an absolute lovely guy. And I, and I, I wouldn't have have got to meet him, or, or and these and I talked to uh, some various other various other artists as well. I'm drawing a blank at the moment, but they're lovely. And and because of this, Dennis also he likes comic book conventions that are about comic books just like me you know there's so many comic book conventions i've been to i, I won't name 
some in the area, but some will not even have one comic book shop in there. Will not have one comic book, only one comic book dealer maybe, and that will be a small dealer or a particular dealer. And I don't agree with that. It should be about the comic books and it should be about the these stories and these immortal characters. Yeah, we love the video games. Yeah, we love the movies. Yeah, we love the the memorabilia and the collectibles. But really for me it's it's about where that comes from. And you know, and and I I meet various cosplayers and I'm like I'm like, oh, you're, you know, you're Harley Quinn. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, oh, I love this story and this story. And have you read those? Because they're so good. And they went, um, and they won't even know the character's real name. Like they won't have even done the bare minimum of a Wikipedia search. And I'm like, come on. Like I understand that it's a visual. It's visual, and you like the visual, and you like the costume, you know, dress up. But at least learn something about the character, even if it's just their name. You know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm not judging them on, you know, not knowing enough. I'm happy to. I'm happy to tell people, you know, how to find out about these characters and how to, you know, enjoy them in, in different ways, uh, and recommend stuff. But I, I, I won't judge them. It's just I don't want to. I don't want to make them look stupid, basically. <laughs> Anyway, uh, gone off, t- gone on a tangent again. So yeah, just if you're gonna cosplay somebody, just just do a Wikipedia search. The the, the bare minimum, I think, is I think that's respectful. But if you don't know who you're talking about, you know, it's like wearing a band T-shirt or a film T-shirt, not not knowing what it's referencing. You know, it's it's I think it's a bit silly. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, so what he does is he's created the Oldham Comic Con, which is. There's no TV guests there, there's no movie guests there, it's purely comic books. So private creators and creators that have worked for various other people, they had, last year they had, or is it this year? Might be this year. Um, they had the creators of Judge Dredd, so um, that's Carlos, uh, Carlos Esquera, I don't know how to pronounce that actually, um, and John Wagner were there, and, and there was a huge, huge response, and it's free, it's absolutely free, this whole Comic Con, you know, there's Comic Cons where you're paying 10, 15, 20 pounds, you know, it's absolutely free, and, and Dennis will go out of his way to, to share things and to give stuff, because that's the old ways, he would, he would, he would, you know, you would, you would go, oh, I'll trade you this for this, you read this, I'll read that, you know, that's the old ways, and, and those are the days you miss, you know, I don't really have, like, as a child, I never really had that, because not many people were into comic books like me, uh, at the time, but that is, that's really cool, and I, I like that, and even when I went to some other conventions, they'd give stuff for free, and they're like, yeah, this is the way it should have been, this is the way it should always be, um, you know, and we, but also, you know, you, creators have got to make money. You know, we were talking about Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and Bill Finger and Jerry Robinson. You know, they still have to make money. So I will always go out my way. And I went there with my my nephew, and we dressed up. Me, my nephew's, I think he was only about eight months old, and I took him and my sister lovingly painted him in green, and we went as Old Man Logan. I was Old Man Logan, <laughs> and he was a uh, Bruce Banner Junior. And he was, he's a it was a great day. Everyone everyone's enjoying it. Everyone's having fun. It's a real family friendly event and a really family friendly shop as well which I think is very important um you know so it's it's he's very inclusive uh in what he does and I respect him and I respect everything he does and I, I'm chained to myself I've not been to the shop in a long time um so I'm gonna I'm gonna rectify that I think for uh for Christmas uh, maybe I'll just go and buy everyone a comic for Christmas. I'm sure they'll love that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I highly, highly recommend. They're on Facebook, so they've got a Facebook page for Alden Comic Con 3. Uh, and there's a the Comic Den is also on Facebook. Um, so if you're nearby and want to check it out, um, go do it. 